guys, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I am Sophia Amoruso, your host, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of the New York Times bestselling book Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, a beautiful, fully illustrated, and linen-bound book with everything from how-tos to a trip inside my house and my closet to Q&As with different girl bosses who inspire me. Also, a story about the time I pooped my pants. You can reserve your signed copy today on nastygal.com slash book. On this podcast, I interview a different woman who's carved out a path for herself. We trace her from her first job to how she got to where she is today to extract solid advice for our listeners who are doing the same with their lives. To stay in touch with all things Girlboss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girlboss. You can also sign up for our newsletter, Girlboss Diary, by going to girlboss.com. And you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso, at Sophia with a P-H, Amoruso, A-M-O-R-U-S-O, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Snapchat. You guys, I hope Girlboss Radio helps you to achieve your goals, or at the very least, provides some amount of inspiration for you. So, please help us achieve our goals. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share your love on social media. We cracked the top 20. Actually, right now we're number 13 of all the podcasts on iTunes, but we're not there every week. So to help us get there, subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. Today's guest is ClassPass co-founder and CEO, Payal Kadakia. But first... Liz Carey is back, my friend, the comedian, the real freak, the single mom. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, oh, Liz, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what up, girl? Um, Yeah, it was a good weekend. Blew by really fast. Tried some edibles. Yeah, they're good, right? It's like weed edibles. But they put the amount on there so you don't freak, rush to the emergency room. And I gave you a very low... Yeah. You so you could, It was good. It was just like a little jelly candy yeah. and I just wanted to sleep for 12 hours. So yeah. I mean, it was nice. It chilled me out, but it's, it's a long time to be like out of it. Not in your head. Yeah. And you shot that pilot for Comedy Central. I know that's so cool. This has been busy. <laughs> and um wow, my nasty gal outfit. Uh-huh. Really got some attention. Oh, yeah? Did it was you act- it actually, it up around your armpits like you usually do? I Just mean, pull your dress up over your head? I was so bummed because I officially <laughs> bought that skirt, and uh-huh. part of the scene was them throwing water at me, and I was just like, well, there goes, there goes that skirt. <laughs> they should reimburse you. It's fine. It, it throwing off. water? How do you even throw water? No, there's like a funny scene where it's like water gets spit in my face, and I just kept watching my outfit. My brand new outfit get ruined. So, yeah, I shot that thing, and I was looking on the cast sheet to see who I was working with, yeah, and yeah, 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 you yeah. get uh, predetermined ideas, again, circling back to my shit life, but you know how you kind of will... Uh, it's my real shit life. My real it? shit life, yeah. yeah. I was checking out this girl that was on it. She's like a super viral YouTuber, Viner, and she also dates a friend of mine. I just, she seemed like she might be not cool, and I came in all prejudged. Like, <laughs> oh, wait, this is the Vine star? Yeah, and she was really nice. And uh, I realized that I too judge off Instagram and think, you know, oh, everybody's got it all going on and everything's all good and happy. And we ended up like having like a very normal talk about real life. And I was happy. That's cool. She yeah. seems cool. 
Yeah, she was like, I can't believe you're a single mom and you hold it all down. And, you know, out, those hours are crazy. Mm-hmm. Shooting at night, yeah, it's like 120 degrees. Like 13 hours? It's long days. What was your favorite line? Did you have a line? <laughs> I had a lot of lines. Oh, yeah? I had a lot of lines <laughs> in this <laughs> one. Did you have any mo- moments? Did you have any good almost moments? Yeah, my um, moment was a big one. I told you, no more prejudge for me. No more prejudging. Mm-hmm. I'm going into life liking people for a change. Yeah, thank God. Oh, it's so annoying. Well, but. you're, I mean, you've <sighs> about growing that by now. No, I think, yeah, prejudging is like, it's nice to feel like we're special when we walk in a room and be like, oh, well. <laughs> it was just nice to be so pleasantly surprised by somebody that you thought would maybe be like, mm-hmm. uh, Tough critic. You know what's cool is when you're not surprised and you just show up and it's just pleasant. Just cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My girl boss moment is, I don't know, I made it back to therapy. Yeah, I went last night and I didn't say anything that I hadn't said before or mm-hmm. thought about before. But I think just having someone, someone that I don't know say like, yeah, maybe you should just have a little more restraint when it comes to that topic. You know, when I'm just, I was talking about my relationship and mm-hmm. I can be really annoying about stuff. And I like really like getting my way. And it's not really about getting my way, it's about being heard. Yeah, yeah, just finding empathy. And sometimes you have to like ask for it. Guys can make that a little difficult sometimes. Yeah, it was just cool to have someone be like, yeah. Listening. Not be all freaked out about, you know, the things I'm freaked out about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. No big deal. And then go home and you're like, (sighs) I know. The hour after therapy, you're like, well, that was worth it. That was, yeah, it was a good moment. It wasn't like a super extreme moment, but it was like, I'm really glad I did that. I feel super good coming home. Yeah. Yeah. It was just nice to talk to somebody who's not like a friend or I don't know, emotionally, like thinking about their experience when they give you advice. And I have friends that give me incredible advice. But, you know, most of us, I think therapists are really good at removing themselves and their own experience. And I guess a good one is. And, yeah, it's just nice to have like a non-perspective perspective. perspective. Yeah. So every week, you, our listener, thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for subscribing to Girlboss Radio. We're like 30-something episodes in. We're gonna. I don't know what we're going to do for episode 50, but stay tuned. (gasps) We're going to make it a big day. We have some really great podcasts coming up. That is like some of our guests are like bunkers. Um, but every week we ask you to tweet and Instagram in hashtag girlboss moment. Um, is the time of your week where you felt like you owned your life? Being a girl boss is about living your life deliberately. And um, it's nice to take a moment and acknowledge for ourselves that we've done that and that we're in control of our lives because we're so lucky to be in this uh, US of A. And then we read them on the podcast. So you might just get a shout out. Yeah, just my. And every time we do shout out, I, I will get lo- a little note, which is nice. A note? Oh, like from someone? Yeah, it seems like Yeah, some, people are like, I'm yeah. just I'm freaking out. I know, it's cute. That's cute. Or someone will make a, they're, they're a girl boss moment, like hashtag girl boss moment, just heard my name on girl boss radio. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, we can't do it again, but um. I love you. Jordan Perry at Jordy Sunshine. This is a good one. Convinced my managers of the importance of social and I just ran our first paid Facebook post. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> be careful with that. It can be an iron lung. Melissa McGovern <laughs> at... <laughs> I finally solved a coding problem on my e-commerce website that has been bugging me for two weeks. Cool. Yeah. Boom. 
Girls who code. Hashtag girl boss moment. Ren A at Ren underscore Augustine says, planned a successful event at work that everybody enjoyed even during one of the hottest weekends in LA. Excited to plan more. Girl boss moment. At Katrina Cat 13. Proud that my socially awkward self didn't fail at introducing myself to a bunch of interns at our first event. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It can be just as scary to introduce yourself to people who are your subordinates, I guess. I hate that word, but like in the office. I'm still intimidated by my own team. Yeah, you're like, hey. Just like, get over it, dude. Kristen. Kristen is one of our producers in New York. Kristen Meinzer. She was named one of the 22 most influential women in podcasting by Medium. Wow. That's amazing. As your senior producer, this is also your girl. <laughs> I love that she's like schooling Aww, me. I wish That's she so was cool. Here. Okay, Lulu in the sky. Lulu in the sky. Made a shirt for the first time for my boyfriend's anniversary gift. He wore it on our date. Wow, I'd like to see that shirt. Wow, that's funny. Brunch with my favorite L.A. babes. Never get tired of talking about business. Creative shit and life with these two. At Little Trailer, at Trust Circle, Girl Boss Moment. Oh, yeah. I think that's it. I don't know how to say this one. Some, Somnicable? I'm really happy with the new video studio for three years. I tried different ones, but they were all noisy. Finally, I found one that is quiet. They have everything. First time I got to use a green screen. It's getting serious. Cool. Liz, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's get to the interview. Kyle Kadakia has been a dance entrepreneur since the age of three when she started training in Indian classical and folk dance. It was her passion for dance, entrepreneurship, and making the world a more active, happy place that led to the founding of ClassPass in 2011, which I know a lot of our listeners are using. ClassPass has since made 20 million reservations, raised $84 million in venture capital, and operates in four countries in 34 cities. Prior to founding ClassPass, Pyle worked as a consultant at Bain & Company and in Warner Music Group's Digital Strategy and Business Development Group. Pyle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Cool. So with every one of these podcasts, I like to start with asking what your first job was. Okay. Um, just because I think it's so fascinating. My first job was at Subway, scooping tuna sandwiches. So I did telemarketing research. So I had to call random people and ask them survey questions while they log. And so what were some of the questions? I mean, this was a lot of like consumer research that companies would submit. So it would be like, what do you think of the gas prices in your area? You know, different things from there to, you know, what's your feedback on a new product you just bought? And it was, you know, it was really interesting because you're calling people from all around the United States. So I would talk to random people. I got to, I got very good at speaking on the phone Uh and getting people to talk to me. Some of these surveys would range from like three minutes to an hour long. So sometimes I would sit on the phone with somebody for an hour. Wow. And actually hear them talk about, you know, they would also interject their life sometimes in there. And so you get to know these people. But I really loved speaking on the phone. And I I feel like I developed a confidence in calling anyone. Yeah. Because I just I kind of felt like my voice was my way of communicating with someone. Do you feel like that's aided you in in the press that you've done? Absolutely. I think uh, your voice is a really powerful thing. You know, I'm actually a really petite person. You guys can't see me, but I'm 4'11". Amazing. 
I think I realized that you can be as big as you want in a voice and other things are a vehicle to do so. And yeah. it doesn't matter. Totally. Um, and so I've always felt that way. And I love that. So you went to college. Yes. Mm. I went to Boston. I went to MIT. I've heard that's a really good school. <laughs> I like the MIT technology review. Yeah. That's the closest I get. We're, we're a pretty techie school, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you study? I studied operations research, which is a little bit of optimization combined with industrial engineering. Everyone at MIT is sort of an engineer. Our humanities wow. classes somehow became about science, like in every aspect. Wow. Um, it's just the way like the curriculum there is set up. But, uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of the stuff I study there, actually, I use every single day in class pass today, which is surprising because I don't think anyone ever picks a major thinking that they're going to use it yeah. in their life. But actually, I was following the footsteps of my sister at the time. She had studied it at Columbia. So I figured, hey, this sounds good. Let me pick that as a field to study. That's so cool. And then so you were a Bainy. I think yep. that's the term, Yep. <laughs> which is someone who works at Bain, which is a consulting company, which a lot of amazing founders yeah. have. Started their friends. careers at, yep. so the Warby Parker and Harry's guys. What did consulting really bring to you? What have you taken with you from your experience? You no, know, I think consulting? it's really important to just get discipline at any point, just because, you know, I you know, obviously, you know, through my college years, so I've also been a dancer my entire life and mm-hmm. have this massive appetite for dance, which we can talk about. But, you know, I always, before I jumped into something I wanted to do it myself, I wanted to make sure I got experience out in the world and you have to learn how the world works. And I think what was amazing about Bain is you have to become smart on an industry in two minutes, literally. That's just the way it works. So mm-hmm. it's, I had to learn about like metals and mining. I had to learn about reinsurance. I had to learn about healthcare amazing. and become smarter than everyone else in the room in about, you know, in very, in two days, literally, that's all you have. And um, I think learning about different industries, learning different tools on how to manage a business, it taught me how to be very big picture. But at the same time, especially with a startup, you have to also kind of get in there and in the weeds. But it helps you kind of always have that higher level strategy when you're thinking about things. And yeah. I think the people at Bain were the most amazing part. And I'm so close to so many of the people that I met there. And I always felt like I didn't need to go to business school because I met such phenomenal people while I was at yeah. Bain. And figuring something out, you know, from just zero, basically, with no one to tell you what this industry is or, you know, what the variables are that you're getting yourself into or what kind of snafus could be around the corner is just like, I mean, that's what entrepreneurship is. Absolutely. Isn't it? You've, it's problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. Constantly. Okay. So you're a dancer. Yes. I started Amazing. dancing when I was three. And you started a dance company. Yes. It's called Sa. Cool. It's actually based off of, you know how we have Do, Re, Mi, Fa, so, La in uh-huh. India? It's Saragama. Oh, so wow. it's actually like the Do that we have. It's the Sa. And I was born and raised here. Like I cheerleaded here. I studied ballet here, uh-huh. studied jazz here. So I kind of have mixed it. Yeah. It's really actually about the sort of American Indian identity that yeah. I've always had and sharing it. So that's a little bit more yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, that makes you a creative who's also an engineer and, you know, took humanities programs that leaned heavily in the sciences <laughs> Science. and also a founder. So, I mean, how do you reconcile that creative part of you that wants to dance with having become a founder? And did you ever consider pursuing dance as your full-time yeah, career? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, I think the creative versus business thing was a struggle throughout my entire life. I think a lot of people face it. And I think for me, you know, I always knew dance was this thing I had that I could go and do in my free time as a hobby. It's just, you know, and to be honest, for Indian dance, there actually was no professional platform. Wow. And so there was really nothing for me to do anyways if I wanted to study it professionally. So I think I always found a way to do it 
as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I have learned, and even as my journey as a founder in these past five years, is that even at ClassPass, I'm actually an artist. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm doing. I kind of always think of ClassPass as I'm designing people's lives and the way they're going to work out. And that's sort of my creative, the creative way I think about it. Absolutely. And And I think I've really leaned into that. And I think it was hard for me to call myself an artist before Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, this Baney and I was a math and science person Mm -hmm. and I had, you know, parents were like, you have to go to business school. So I was struggling with identifying with it. And now I identify with it a lot. And it sort of liberated me into feeling like I can be creative every day. Absolutely. I've tried to coin the term. I haven't said it to anybody really publicly, but in private, I've joked that I'm a business artist. I love that. And it kind of sounds like a con artist, but (laughs) there's a big difference. Business artist. You no, know, I, like, I mean, I think there's a lot of creativity to what absolutely. we do. And I think especially when you're starting from scratch, there is no blueprint. You're creating everything. You're creating everything, yeah. you know, from, you know, whether it's in your product, if it's like an actual like clothing, there's a lot of creativity in that, yeah, absolutely. you know, and the way someone even I always think about even like UI. UI is very similar to how you'd set up a retail store, mm-hmm. which know, is user interaction for yes. those of you that <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's just mapping people's behaviors and what exactly. it is that they're going to do based on some other stimuli and you move them in the directions that, you know, end them in the part, the right product. Part, yeah, exactly. the part of the funnel that you want them to do, which is basically <laughs> that they made a purchase. Exactly. Right? Kind of. Exactly. That's how I understand it. So tell us about ClassPass. What is ClassPass? When did you found it? Yeah. So uh, ClassPass started actually six years ago. The idea, that's when I got it. I was sitting at my desk, sitting at Warner Music Group, and I looked for a ballet class online, miserably frustrated by the experience of, you know, having to go from website to website, not mm-hmm. knowing if it was the right class for me, ended up not going. And that's when I just realized maybe there was an idea here that I could really help in getting all this information in one place. I didn't quit for six months because I just, you know, I, I wanted to make sure the idea worked. I was trying to get some funding. And then it was actually amazing. I always love telling the story for, you know, anyone who's like thinking about what they should be doing in their lives. My mom was the one who told me to quit. And, you know, being, mm-hmm. being, uh, you know, an immigrant family, like she just was like, your career is everything. She was the one I remember during Thanksgiving, she looked at me and, you know, she knew I was, I'm one of those people when I have an idea, I just go for it. And I have so much energy towards it. And like that light had kind of died in me. Mm-hmm. I had actually been doing the dance company for three years and I was sitting at my desk and every day and I remember talking to her and she was like, just quit. You know, she's like, you're going to figure it out. And one of my other good friends told me not to have a plan B, mm-hmm. which was also really great advice because I knew I'd figure it out. And if I did have a plan B, I'd actually, I'd actually probably be working at you Spotify. Be, yeah. You wouldn't be forced <laughs> um, to figure it out. Yeah. I just yeah. would have had comfort, you know, and so survival goes a long way. Exactly. And so I quit in uh, January of 2011 and that's when I started the company and we were first a search engine for classes. So um, you quit Warner Music Group. Okay. Got it. Yep. And um, what were you doing there? I was a digital strategist. I was actually helping with a lot of the licensing deals with a lot of awesome music companies cool. like from YouTube's, Google's, Apple's, Spotify's of the world. Okay. Um, it actually was a nice, uh, a nice quick, you know, a quick industry knowledge of like how the digital landscape could work. And yeah. I actually got to see a whole revolution happen in the music industry, which actually many of those patterns are things I feel like I apply to my own company now. That's so interesting. Um, but it was really amazing. It just, you know, for me, I think I was dancing at night and I was doing this. I almost felt like this 
I felt like I was living two lives mm-hmm. a bit. And when you feel like that, that means something's wrong. I always tell people that when you feel like you're being two different people or being, you know, when you, you feel good with these people but not at work, there's something wrong. You need yeah. to be working with those types of people who give you that energy totally. constantly. So I quit. And then uh, I remember the vice chairman of Warner Music Group called me to his office when I quit because I had sent an email out and I hadn't, hadn't really met him before. And uh, he was like, what are you working on? Come to my office. And so, I, you know, it's amazing how doors open the second after you think you've closed and yeah. the world's over. Yeah. You know, it's obviously scary to do. And I just remember after that, I started telling him about this idea of creating this search engine to um, aggregate classes. And that's sort of how the idea took off. We did tech stars in New York with like David Tish and folks. And mm-hmm. it was great. And when we launched, there were sort of crickets, meaning people weren't going to class. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a beautiful website. And I think sometimes, you know, I think the mistake we made is we probably spent too much time building the website. And when you launched, it was called ClassPass? It was called Classtivity. So this is <laughs> Classtivity era. Yeah. So yeah, what did, what was Classtivity? It was just a search engine, a very similar open table or ZocDoc, okay. but for classes. So you could go and say, I'm looking for, I mean, it's actually very similar to ClassPass without the subscription side of it today. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you would say in this neighborhood, I'm looking for a yoga class at 7 p.m. It was more of like a referral based. It was, yes. yeah, exactly. We would just okay. take a, you know, a small rep share. Okay. Um, but we were basically having the purchases go directly through our platform, but the purchases didn't happen because we had actually not gotten the customer product right. And I always tell people, it's okay, you can focus on technology forever and ever and ever, but at the end of the day, if customers aren't buying, mm-hmm. there's a problem. What do you think wasn't right about it? I think there was a lot of friction. People are already scared, right, of going to class, It's especially trying something new. If you've never been to a yoga class, and now we're also telling you to pay for it mm-hmm. at that point, right? And you're also just, you're not familiar with that studio you don't trust it. You, a lot of people have so many classes around them. It's really hard to say yes to them. So mm-hmm. I, what I realized is we had to make it as frictionless as possible for people to say yes to going to that studio. And traditionally, the fitness industry has actually been run by mostly memberships, right? So it was mm-hmm. also some looking at customer behavior and saying, wait, what are people used to buying when it comes to fitness? They're not used to spending, you know, $30 per class it's just for the first time. That's not mm-hmm. how they're going to get introduced to this concept. They needed to have an easier, lighter way to get involved with the product. And that's sort of what we started to do. So then we came up with another product. It was called the Passport in between. And it was a $49 product that let you try classes at all the different studios in your local area. But you could only do it for a month. And we were we thought people would then go and buy a package at one of the studios that they discovered in that one month period. Mm-hmm. What we ended up seeing is people were sort of frauding us and they were buying the product over and over again with different email addresses. Uh, yeah. And our studio owners kept calling us saying, hey, I thought people couldn't come back. And when we realized that, we actually realized people wanted this to be a subscription. They loved variety. And then that's re- really got us to say, wow, I think we need to turn this into a subscription model. And we renamed ourselves as ClassPass. So that's like two pivots? Yeah, two what? pivots. And there's actually more. I mean, you, every startup has so many more. I mean, we've changed the product so many times. Yeah. But yeah, those are the two main pivots. How did it feel when you first hit crickets? Because I think that probably happens to a lot of people. And it's really easy to give up at that point. Absolutely. It's a great question. I think you know, we had spent so much time and gotten some something up there. I think the hardest struggle that we had to get over was knowing that we had put time into it. Mm-hmm. But that should not tell you what you have to do tomorrow. Mm-mm. And I think once I was just more excited about the future than I was about the past, I got everyone to be like, it's okay, let's throw it away and let's build because everyone wants action, right? It's It never feels good to watch something go be flat. You mm-hmm. always want growth in some way and working feels better than doing nothing. Absolutely. And so I think once, once we had a new concept to come in, I remember walking into the team 
And I was excited about the new product. And I think they felt that. I think they were like, uh, you know, we actually didn't stop Classtivity until seven months into, we didn't shut down the search engine for seven months into ClassFast. And I remember uh-huh. talking to my engineer who was, you know, with the company still, and he uh, was one of our first employees. And I remember it was hard for him to turn it down because he had built every part of that code. And he was like, we're going to turn it down. He's like, what if we used it to drive traffic? And at some point, we just knew that. You have to choose. Yeah, you have to focus. Your focus. And it's it's hard because work went into it. But that, you know, the past is not going to predict what's going to be your future success. And yeah. you have to be able to make those hard decisions. And I think one of the things I've always done is I've surrounded myself by really great people. And I'm one of those people when something bad is happening, I like to indulge in it a lot. It's like, I'd rather hit that bottom point of that feeling as quickly as possible. So I get up. Yeah. Right. Fail fast. Fail fast. Exactly. Like if I just like being like, let me just cry this out. Let me go talk this out. Let me go Mm. be like, we messed up and let me just get to the root of it. It's better just to know. It energizes you because then you're going to, you're kind of over yelling about it and you kind of then start working on a plan and a plan is always the most energizing thing. Yeah. When did you know that ClassPass was really going to work? So you iterated and iterated, and obviously you're still iterating, but was there a moment where you were like, all right, all right, all right, finally, like, I know this is working? Yeah. So I think, you know, I've always been a very mission-oriented, you know, founder in the sense of I knew I wanted to get people to class. Like, to me, if I wasn't getting people to, you know, the way I talk about dance and, like, it's this place for me that I love, I wanted other people to have that. So until I was sort of creating that same type of behavior and emotional connection to my product, I didn't succeed. And I think, you know, we launched ClassPass in June of 2013. And that fall, I re- you know, I was doing every customer service email. I could start seeing what people were saying about, wow, like, I'm so addicted to this product. I, like, wake up every day figuring out what I can do. Like, it's changed my life. I feel more confident at work. Like, all these things started happening. And that's what I started reading. In January of uh, 2014, I remember being in my elevator in my building. And two girls started talking about it. Um, sort of to each other. And cool. they were sell like one of them was selling it to the other one and being like, I just signed up for this. And I just remember, I think I like got off on the wrong floor. Like I didn't, I couldn't move because I literally was like, did that just happen? You're like I, getting teary. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how long ago was that? That was uh, two and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah. So this has been a, I mean, you started kind of started six years ago. Yeah. That's, yeah. For me, the journey started six years ago. The, yeah. the I would say class fest when we're celebrating our third birthday th- uh, this Friday, but oh, class fest is three years old. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so you've raised 84 million yes. in venture capital. Yeah. What has that been like? And what have you learned just about how to get people to believe in what you're doing enough to actually, you know, step forward and support you? Absolutely. Um, look, I think you have to have conviction in your idea. I think like from the beginning, that is something. I've had before I had results, even I had conviction. And I think, you know, people are investing in the beginning on you. And I think every round and every stage is very different. And in the beginning, it's all about who you are and this idea you have. And do people believe you're going to make it happen? I think a lot of people who invest in me early on, they looked at my background. They like also saw me build my dance company and they Mm -hmm. were like, wow, she just like rented out this crazy studio and sold it out. You know, I think they Mm -hmm. saw that I was also scrappy as well as obviously like, you know, I had a good background. Um, so sort of some of those things, but as we've raised a lot more money, I would say like people are everything. I think people who I know believe in what I'm creating are good people. They, I want to work with them. You know, those, those to me have been the most important criteria when I'm having, you know, raising money. And I think 
it's always important to make sure that you realize like these are the people that to me they're like my family you know they're the ones they've given me money we're going to be making very hard decisions for this company mm-hmm. together and that's always just been at the core has that been really scary just when you stop and you're like 84 million or do you ever stop and you're like what does that mean i mean i know what it means but How'd that happen? And yeah, there are days where I think I can look at my life from sort of a faraway point being like, wow, like who is that? You know, you just totally. sort of disassociate for a second yeah. and, uh, it's unbelievable. But at the same time, then I just, I just know myself. Like I just go back into my email and I'm just like totally. a workaholic. You're like, and, okay, that was a nice moment. Yeah, exactly. I better get back to work <laughs> yeah. trying to keep my promises. Yeah. And yeah. it just, I think I've always just since I was younger, I just, knew I was put on earth to like shake things up and, mm-hmm. and create a den. And I think, uh, you have to listen to that. So who gave you funding for the initial website? For the initial website? Yeah. A lot of friends and family. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, I did tech stars New York, so that happened, but literally like my first few checks were people who I knew or like literally I would, I think like I'm the kind of person where I'd go to like a lunch with people. I'm like, all right, we're going to talk about this yeah. and sort of just, you know, take control of the conversation. And by the end, I think people just were like, wow, you know, like, I believe you. I trust you. I think you're going to make this happen. And they were writing me checks in the beginning. And then after that, uh, my seed stage was uh, Fritz Landman, who actually got introduced to via David Tish. And I think one of my favorite moments was when I met with Fritz, you know, once again, investors like I think, you know, their job is sort of the doubt companies and, and figure out what the holes are. When I met Fritz, he looked at me and, you know, I kind of told him about my story and who I was. He understood how I ticked. And then he kind of looked at my data and he goes, I think you built the next Uber. Like he just Amazing. had that look on his face. Amazing. And I just, you know, and I had obviously that's like what I signed up to do. It's why you become an entrepreneur. But I, I felt like someone else saw it as well. And it was it was just magical because I remember being and then he led my my seed round and then he actually led my series A and became my wow. first board member. But it's people like that, you know, who make you see see even further than you can at times. How did you convince studios to get on board with yep. your vision and how does it work for them financially in terms of like, how you know, how did you make it seem like something that was beneficial for them? Absolutely. So I think, you know, at the core of it, we've always been about driving more people to these studios. I think, you know, from my own background, I've been to I've. A, like, ran dance classes before and not had people show up. It's it's one of those things where you don't want to teach an empty studio mm-hmm. or a class. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of at the core of it. Is As a bring client, I want an empty class, but <laughs> my weirdo. <laughs> I'm like, you can do some personal training. Yeah, um, yeah but, you know, I think it, at the core of it, we also realized that there was fundamentally excess capacity in this industry. A lot of these folks, they have fixed costs, right? So it's like every incremental spot was worth something, but we didn't want to do something that felt like a one-time experience and someone wasn't going to come back. From the beginning, we always tried figuring out a way to have retention as a part of the model for the clients because it was about a lifestyle. This isn't about like, let me go try something. This is about figuring out a way that our users are going to find a fulfilling life. So if they love yoga, we want them to stay connected to yoga for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it in the beginning, we also realized that many of the studios were giving away classes to new people for free, mm-hmm. right? So like we were starting at the bar of zero, mm-hmm. right? That's really like when with our passport product, they gave us the classes at zero cost. They just wanted people to come in the door and discover like the magic of their studio. Yeah. So they really were looking for marketing. And then as ClassPass started working, I think we also realized, okay, great. Like we can even do more than just like put some spots in there. We wanted to make sure that we were helping them grow their studios. We've actually helped studios like Pop Physique actually open up, um, which by the way, you have a Pop Physique in this building. We do now. Yeah. Downstairs. I know. Yeah. Um, open up 
in New York from LA. Okay. So we've also like we've we've brought together the studios in a way with content and information that they wouldn't have ever been able to get before. Like I always like to say this before I feel like there was probably some competition. Mm-hmm. We're trying to actually make everyone feel like they're on the same side. And yeah. I think it's by sharing information and best practices. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's so varied how yoga studios and dance studios and personal, you know, private gyms or whatever Pilates studios work because every website's totally different. They're all using a different system. Most of them are pretty rinky dink. A lot of them you have to call for. Some of them are online, but do you trust their system? And, you know, also just for those companies, it seems like the expertise would be in, in the craft. Yeah, that's exa- the they're like artists. I modality mean, the the day, is of what they're yeah, doing. Totally. And to have someone who can provide, you know, data and best practices and almost like an operating system for how to do this really, really well. It's like you just said, it's so unique. It's It actually adds a lot of friction. Imagine you want to go to a class, right? And now you don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Now you find something and you have to go to this website. You don't know where the payment is. Like it's so many steps. There's so many, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about funnel. How yeah. many parts of that process can you fall off in? Yeah. Many. It's just that fear. And it, it's not even just about the information I think I learned. It's making sure you have a good experience in the class. What mm-hmm. information, you know, just being able to check in. I mean, even if you walk into the front desk and they're like, well, your name isn't on the list. Like, all that anxiety that happens. It's totally like, just can like, I oh, get I don't into belong class? here. Like, you want to feel like you belong. And I think yeah. that that sense of community and actually knowing that you look around and there's all these other people from either class pass or just newbies in a class, mm-hmm. I think, feel like that creates a sense of camaraderie yeah, between people. Nothing worse than snobs, you know? <laughs> so it's really easy to just be like, you just know. Yeah. Every, you know, every so. I always believe, and we work with partners who are very welcoming. I mean, yeah, that's how our if, totally. if products are. I'm not if, trying to yeah. crap on classes. No, no, no. I totally get it. But, you know, if, just, if that ever is the case, like we, like we wouldn't even have them on yeah, our product. Our product totally. is about sharing. It's a sharing. How do you experience. vet? How do you vet the studio? We have ratings and reviews on every of class course, and yeah. every teacher. And if we see something go low, we call up the studio and talk to them about it. Wow. So you're like kind of in charge of people's careers that aren't even your own team. Well, I mean, like there are products. There are product, right? Totally. And you have to. You we're putting our name on it. We're sending someone. To, you know, you're yeah. taking an hour of your life and going there feel responsible for making that happen and we want to make sure it's a good experience absolutely yeah so who were some of your first hires when did you know it was time to hire someone and and who were they how did you find them this is a great question i think you know at all phases of a startup it changes i think in the beginning it was really just about people who were willing to kind of get in there and hack it up with us like there were things like great spreadsheets of classes you know in times like that's what interns did you know Mm -hmm. it was very um i would say in the beginning it was just a matter of like who who were was driven enough to be like i'm gonna work here from like 8 a.m to like 2 in the morning and not care and just feel like so honored to be a part of this company and that's sort of where it was in the beginning obviously hiring our first engineer We've had to let go of and fire, I think, a few of them in the beginning. That was sort of just, you know, it just happens. And then uh, thankfully, even like the engineer um, who I was just telling you about who's still with the company, he actually came in to help us and he's been with the company since. And this guy was Ethel. He was someone that I've known since I was 10. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? So it's almost like sometimes when you need help, like I always think like you reach out to the people you know, and that ended up working out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work out that way. But then at the end of the day, like I have a massive network from just the people I've known from Bain and other folks. And I always tell people, like, stay in touch with people because you just never know. Absolutely. And you want different, right? It's not just about like 
like I didn't want people who just had a business background like I did. I needed people who actually had a very different skill set. Like my first designer, like she's actually one of my good friends. Me, I just love her work. And I just mm-hmm. remember being like, you need to work here and build our brand. She still builds our brand. And it's people like that that you just need to, you mm-hmm. know, hang on to. For people who are considering going to college. Yeah. You know, I think that the MITs and you know, Harvards of the world have like reputations for being really kind of immersive and just social, just really social. And you have an incredible network through, I'm sure through school and then also through Bain. You know, what would you say to someone who's like, maybe college isn't for me? I didn't go to college, but I'm totally pro college because I do think that finishing things is extremely important. There's a whole lot of other reasons to go to college, but just doing something for four years is good training for the rest of your life. Kind of doesn't matter. It it does matter what it is, but at the very, very minimum, finishing something I yeah. think is really important. I can, everyone's different. Everyone's life is different. I, you know, it depends on what, what you're surrounded with when you're younger. Um, I do think college is helpful. It's the first time you're away from comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it forces you to sort of get, you know, learn who you are. I think that's actually the biggest journey. No one ever talks about what you should do in your 20s, mm-hmm. but you have to get to know yourself I know. and know what you're good at. And, you know, it's no one's going to tell you that. And sometimes by doing all these like these jobs and like going to the cookie cutter schools, like it doesn't actually help you do that mm-hmm. because you end up blending in and forming. You know, I think I struggled with that because I actually felt always pretty unique and different. I think everyone does. Every one time uh-huh. I talk to someone, everyone's like, I always felt very different. I'm like, we all did. We if just you, if you have good parents, then they, that's what yeah, you know, that's I, what we learn. I think you just have to embrace it, though, and find mm-hmm. who you are. And no one tells you to do that when you're younger. Right. Uh-huh. And I actually think like. I mean, I get it why people are getting married later and choosing these things later. It's because we never actually went through a cycle of figuring mm-hmm. out who we were when we were younger. Totally. So I just think it's a ba- matter of like choose a college where you can actually, you know, be around people you enjoy. Like you can study what you want to. You can do activities that you still want to. Mm-hmm. And even with your career, I think after, you know, I always say this to people like definitely have discipline, but don't get stuck, right? Like don't get mm-hmm. stuck in the whole like money game mm-hmm. or like title game. Those aren't no. the games to get stuck in. Get stuck in the I love my work game because yeah. that's ultimately what's going to make you happy. You know, people talk about balance. Totally. Do you believe in this. balance? And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. dance is a really important thing yep. for you, but it's also something that you're that you're a professional at. Yep. So that is a passion, but it's also you know, a hobby and it's also a profession. Yeah. Um, how do you balance everything what, that we do? Yeah. What's personal and what's professional and what's your home and what's your work? Yeah. I like to keep everything as one, meaning I don't think you can create these fine lines in your life. It all blends together. It defines me as a person, as I was saying. I'm very anal about my time. I think that's the biggest thing I have control over and what I want to do and how I want, who I want to spend my time with, how I want to spend it. Mm-hmm. So even with dance, you know, I used to dance at 9 p.m. at night and that's okay with me. Like, why not? Right. Instead of watching TV, I'm going to go and dance. Like, that's my hour for myself. And those are sort of the things that I've sort of developed into myself. The other thing I've learned, you know, is in order to have balance, you also have to let go. I think, you know, it's funny. Like, I've, hiring awesome people in any aspect, right? Like it's, you know, there are moms who get a nanny, right? There are other things you could do to get balance. And I Mm -hmm. think we forget that so much of that is making sure you hire the right people so you can focus on the magical things that you need to focus on, right? And not the things that sort of are just like that. So you can really, I hate to say it, outsource to other people, whether it's in your company or your life or other things. And I think I've really constantly been evaluating how can I get rid of the stuff that it's like just... Um, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's me or not. Yeah. Right. And the things that matter that it's me, I want to do. Uh-huh. And things that 
don't matter if it's me, I shouldn't have to do. No, totally. And, and I think that's sort of been that's my how philosophy. You build a team. Yeah. And it's um, hard. And that's always the hardest thing to be like, who you trust, who do you get? And I think you just have to keep iterating on that and keep finding good people. Yeah. Are there any apps like productivity apps, organizational apps? You know, how do you organize yourself? Um, and are there any apps that you would recommend to me and our listeners? Yeah. On Sundays, I go through priorities for per- mm-hmm. my personal priorities plus my class pass priorities and I write a list of them of the things and like I outsource the things that I don't need to do mm-hmm. essentially, right? And I, I just make that list and it sometimes gets pretty long. I'm like, wow, like I yeah. can't, like if I had to do all these things, like this would take a lot of time. Do you ever feel sorry for your assistant? I totally do. I Not always sorry, feel- like pity, but just like, I can't believe I can generate this much work for someone. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, I always think about it like, can I clone myself? And you know, uh-huh. like if I, you know, it's hours that either you know, would have taken up my life or, or yours. But at the end of the day, I'm always so thankful. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's about getting, being very clear on what you want and I think, and what you want to focus on. And I, I love doing that weekly because I love being excited about each day in the week. And that's why I love planning my time. Like I want to look at my calendar and be like, I can't wait to do that. Right. Like wake up Mm -hmm. this morning and be like, I can't wait to do this interview. Like I don't Mm -hmm. want to feel like my day is running me. I want to feel like I'm running my day. And the only way you could do that is by getting ahead of it versus being like, Oh, I have to do this meeting. And Oh, now this meeting popped up on my calendar, et cetera. And totally that means like it's running you. How do you evaluate what is exciting and what is essential? Whether or not anyone cares about what you're doing or not, honestly, there's opportunity everywhere. Um, I have a hard time, I guess, focusing. Um, it's focus, right? It's probably because I didn't go to college. No, that's not true. I think I think focus is everything because I think people can, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, even people I want to meet, right? Like I could, you want to meet, there's always so many great people to meet. I think it's a matter of like, once again, I always kind of go back to like what my goals are of being like, I want to meet these types of people right now. And saying yes to them and sort of pushing the other people back because it's all about focus. Like a better conversation and a better outcome will be, ha- will happen if you're more focused. And once again, you can have guilt. I think, you know, it's funny. I always t- like think about this with females. I think females have so much guilt. Like it's like Why? it almost just, it's, it's something that we all just need to work on getting rid of collectively it's such a waste because of I don't think guys carry around guilt at all. I don't, <laughs> and I don't. think we do. And I think, uh, I think, look, it gives us obviously a heart and it makes us empathetic, Mm -hmm. but it can sometimes even hold us back if we don't learn to get over it. And I think for me, so much duty people, it's like, exactly. You have to work, you have to, I always surround myself by people. When I start feeling guilty, I know the people to call who like make me be like, just go kick ass. Or I know, like, I read quotes a lot. Mm -hmm. And some of it is because I'm like, nope, like, I'm not going to feel guilty. Where do you find great quotes? Honestly, I just look on Instagram. um, Oprah.com. I, oh yeah, I love Oprah. I like literally, I'm, I used to use this like app called like motivationalquotes.com. I literally, I used to post a quote like every day. I remember all my friends were like, what happened to the quotes? I'm like, I just got busy. (laughs) But, um, like every morning, cause I, I wanted to center my day. Yeah. You know, and I think just like reading positive things and, anything negative or anything I was feeling would just kind of disappear because you just read this positivity and yeah. it's all you control your thoughts. Like you put down the New York times and then you pick up the inspirational quote app. <laughs> like you, you can, can live, you can you control your thoughts, right? Absolutely. You control your actions. It, when, when like, I always say that when I feel down, I'm like, it's my choice to, and sometimes even when, when I like, I just go for a run mm-hmm. because it's like, you have to know yourself. How far can you run? Dude, you dance Yeah, and you run. I'm I like, can't No, I don't run a lot. Running has become, I can't, I'm actually not a very good runner. Um, me neither. I actually like only run on a treadmill and this is like, if yeah. there's no class around me, it's like my workout uh-huh. and I can only run like three miles. Like I, I mean, okay, like without fine. stopping. 
Well, yeah, and I don't run very fast at all. I, I don't even think I can do. I'm I just it became actually meditation to me. Running is really psychological. Yeah, it there's became a lot meditation of to I me. Can do and and running, there's just something that's like, this is boring. I can be. Do I don't you know should listen to good. If you if so you repetitive. I need good music. If I don't have a good like song I really like or something, mm-hmm. it's like a very long thirty minutes. I like jump roping to the music. Oh yeah, jump roping is fun. Jump roping's fun. There's actually a class like just jump really? roping now in uh in New York City. Double Dutch would be cool. Like the one where you run in and out of the. <laughs> oh, yeah. Around like kids. Just do kids activities in like the sixties or whatever. Um, so I, I like to ask all of our guests on the show. So we have something called girl boss moments. Okay. Which is, I don't know. It's kind of like a hallmark moment. I don't know where it came from, but, um, our listeners tweet in and Instagram in hashtag girl boss moment, which is the time of their week or the time of your week where you felt like you were really in control of your life, where you were like, I'm doing something for myself where I achieved something. I'm the boss of my own life. And it could be, I got a bubble bath or I didn't look at my phone or I raised another $50 million. <laughs> um, Payal, what was your girl boss moment? Definitely when I'm doing like 50 pushups at a pop physics class, you know, nice. I 50. mean, yeah, in a row, you just, you do them through the class. Okay, cool. It always sounds great to say like, I did 50 pushups today, even if you did 10 at a time. Like, I, yeah, it's those, still, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think those moments to me just make me feel so strong totally. mentally and physically. Totally. All right. So where can we find ClassPass and how can we find you on the, on the interwebs? Yeah. So ClassPass is at ClassPass. I'm at Pyle Kadakia and Pyle222 on uh, Instagram. That's P-A-Y-A-L-K-A-D-A-K-I-A, guys. Pyle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This has been really fun. That was another episode of Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week with Claire Wineland, the founder of Claire's Place Foundation. So please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and my husband, Joel Jark DeGraff, who is now going by the name Same Animal for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll be back next week.